Good morning. Oh, man, it is so good to be back here. Uh, Frisco Bible is like home for us. So uh, it's like coming home. Uh, and so I, I thank you. Thank you for having me. I got to preach three years ago and you'll have me back. So that's cool. But you know what's even cooler is like, I've been preaching on, on a camera in a small room that's been set up like right in front of me because we've been doing online services for a while. And I like, I had to stay right here, but now guys, I can walk over here and the cameras follow me. And so <laughs> forgive me if I'm all over the place today, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm just so excited. Thank you for having me. If you, if you have any more questions about our church and what we're doing, uh, I'll be out in the, uh, the hall out there in a little bit. So afterwards, so come talk to me. I would love to tell you more about our church. I'm going to go ahead and just start off with a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Move us to action today. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, I loved karate movies, like loved karate movies. My dad and I would watch Jean-Claude Van Damme. That was like our guy, right? And um, I was about seven years old when he showed me the movie Bloodsport, maybe too young, I don't know. Uh, We sat, we were in a tent in my living room and I remember watching this movie and there was this five minute training scene where he was gonna learn this new style of martial arts. This is where he becomes the true master that he is. And in this scene, he's doing, you know, his moves while he's being beaten with bamboo sticks. And it culminates in this moment where he truly is aware and, and is a master. And it's this moment right here where he is pulled up into a splits position in pain and agony. And then all of a sudden calm comes over him and he realizes that pain is an illusion and he rips it down. And I'm like, that's what you got to do to become a karate master. I'm going to do that. So I turned to my dad and I said, dad, can you tie me up like that tomorrow? And my dad said, uh, we'll see about that. Uh, maybe he questioned whether or not a seven-year-old should be watching these movies, but, uh, Good stories move us to action. Good stories move us to action. Maybe for you it wasn't a karate movie. Maybe for you it was like Mel Gibson when he yells freedom, right? Maybe for you it was John Cusack when he holds the boom box over his head. I don't know what moves you exactly, but good stories move us to action. And I think this is why like 43% of scripture is story. It's meant to move us to action. And today we're thinking about missions. And I thought, what story is going to move us to action in the idea, thinking about missions? And I tell you what, the book of Acts is that story. That is the story that will move us to action. And I'm going to try to preach the entire book of Acts in the next 25 minutes, fingers crossed. So uh, obviously I'm going to be looking at it from like a, you know, very high. We're not going to be diving into all the little ins and outs. We're going to be looking at three main movements that you see in the book of Acts. And Jesus actually sets us up with these three main movements uh, in the very beginning of the book. But uh, I, so I'm not going to have three main points. I will have three main movements, which I hope lead us all to this main point of, of moving us to action. And the main point is that you are recipients of Israel's inheritance which empowers you to be Jesus' witnesses to the remotest part of the earth. You are recipients of Israel's inheritance, which empowers you to be Jesus' witnesses to the remotest part of the earth. That is the point I want you to take away. And that's actually the title of my sermon today, The Remotest 
part of the earth. And so we're going to look at these three main movements, and it, it all kicks off with Jesus' final words, Acts 1-8. Let's just jump right in there. Acts 1-8, Jesus says this. He's talking to his disciples. He's telling them, hey, you're going to go, and, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. He says this, but you will receive power when, you, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. And then the book follows this layout. You see it reach uh, Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. And then, well, actually it doesn't re reach the remotest part of the earth. And we're, we're going to look at why it still hasn't reached the remotest part of the earth. And so we're going to dive right in. The first movement is in Jerusalem. This is the chapter right following uh, Jesus' last words. Acts 2 what happens is they're all waiting in this upper room. The disciples, the apostles are waiting there in the upper room. And it's the day of Pentecost. This is a day that they remember the law being given. It's a day where they bring their first fruits to God. And on this significant day, the Holy Spirit fills that place with mighty rushing winds. So there's rushing winds. There's flames on their heads. They're speaking in other languages. And there's people gathered from other nations all to this place. And Peter stands up and preaches. And as he begins to preach, he says, This is the fulfillment of the last days. This is exciting news. This is exciting news. And, and in fact, this idea of last days and spirit pouring out, what's happening is King Jesus is setting up the kingdom of God starting in Jerusalem, the city of the great king. There's like this sense that Jerusalem is significant. And I think sometimes, uh, I've, heard it, I've heard it preached before, um, and I, I think we've thought of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth as a roadmap for missions. And I want to be careful about that. I don't think there's anything wrong with starting at home and gospel saturation going out. But I don't think that's Luke's point. I don't think that's Luke's point. Jerusalem is significant. And here, here's why I don't think that's Luke's point. Because these are Galileans. In Acts 2, it's, they say... Hey, how are these Galileans speaking in these languages? If they were going to start at home, they would have started in Galilee. If this was supposed to be a roadmap for how to do missions, they probably would have started in Galilee. There's significance, theological, eschatological significance in Jerusalem, in starting in Jerusalem. It's, a, it's, 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 that, it's really, this, it's good storytelling too. I mean... Luke wants us to get why it happened the way that it did. He draws out this last day's language in Jerusalem, it ha happening in this way. It's this, this realization that Jerusalem, again, is the heart, it's the heart of the promised land. It's that place where King Jesus is setting up the, the kingdom of God, and it's going to go, and they're going to be a blessing to the nations. They're going to be a light to the nations. This is exciting news, and, and I think we miss this if we think of it just as a roadmap. And oftentimes, I've, I've sadly seen people go, well, I'm doing my work at home, and that's good, right? Like, you know, home, city, state, country. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, being missional and living on mission in your homes, but I don't want you to miss out on the fact that maybe you're being called into missions or church planting or something going out beyond your walls of comfort. And this book should move us to action, at least to have you questioning, what am I supposed to do to participate? And, and so how does this move us? How should this move us? 
How would it have moved the first century uh, reader? This past week, we faced Snowpocalypse 2021. Like, for real, though, like, deadly. People actually, we, we ran out of water. People ran out of water. People ran out of electricity. Gas stations were empty. Food was gone. Like, it was scary. People actually froze to death. Like, hypothermia, we had wrecks with, you know. It was an insane week. Death was looming, right? And we saw, like, record-breaking. We saw snow all over the place. Never before seen anything like this. And I tell you, we lost our power only for one hour. And I turned into Bear Grylls, and I was, like, boiling snow. I'm sure some of you did the same thing. Like, we got to have toilet water. We need something, you know. So, but it only went out for an hour. Thank God it came back. But what I guarantee you, what I was doing all week, I was watching my weather app. And Saturday I saw snow, Sunday I saw, you know, ice and snow and freezing and snow, and it was terrifying. There was this sense of, can I make it to that little icon of the sun? Are we going to make it? Are my pipes going to freeze next? My neighbors froze. Is my electricity going out next? Are we going to, like, are we going to start? Like, what's going to happen? It was terrifying, and that little icon was a, a, a beacon of hope. It was just like all week long, we can do it, we can make it, we can do it, we can make it. Like we're looking forward to that moment. And I tell you what, Friday morning when the sun rose, I don't know about you, but a breath of fresh air filled me and I was like, oh, thank God. Like this, it's coming to an end. That, that, I guarantee you there were people filled with tears of joy because of that moment. When the, the sun began to thaw, the pipes, well, some people, it may not have been a good moment. I know that there's a lot of damage, but there is that moment where we see, we see at least hope that this realm of death is over and something is breaking through. And this is what the first century Jew would feel. They had been reading scripture about this last days that was coming, that this kingdom that would be set up in Jerusalem and be a light to the nation. They've been thinking about this and praying about this and excited about this and hoping for this, getting out of this kingdom of death. And then we hear it starts in Jerusalem. These are the last days. Think of the tears of joy of that first century Jewish reader when they said, it's here, it's here. The kingdom of death is coming to an end. So Acts 2 moves us to see that beginning, that theological significance starting in that promised land with the pro people of promise and people of blessing. King Jesus setting up his throne, you know, and so we see in Acts 2 this happens, it, literally a chapter after Acts 1-8. And so there's this, uh, you know, this feeling of like, it's going to end soon. Like, this book's going to be over real quick. I mean, he already, it already did the first thing. Like, it's happening. And then we have to wait like six more chapters before it reaches Judea and Samaria. And that's our next movement uh, in Judea and all, in all Judea and Samaria in the story yeah, a lot of cool things happen, and all along the way in those six chapters, you're like, is it going to hit it yet? Is they going to go to Judea and Samaria? Are they gonna, is it going to happen yet? And so it was mentioned in Acts 1-8, and it's not mentioned again until Acts 8-1. And so in Acts 8-1, they're persecuted. And we'll, we'll read that now, actually. Let's, let's just read this passage. Acts 8-1. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. This 
this is uh, this moment where they go, it's happening, it's finally happening, it's breaking out. And what I find really interesting is, is that the apostles don't go. It's a time of persecution, but what happens is non-apostles, just spirit-empowered witnesses of Jesus Christ, go out and start sharing the gospel. And the gospel reaches the Samaritans, not by the apostles first, but by just regular believers. And they spread it out, and it's only after that that the apostles follow. So we're in all Judea and Samaria, and this is, is not just a, a geographical move. We're not just watching gospel saturation happen. We're watching something, again, theological. The first century Jew would pick up on this. Samaria and Judea were like saying northern and southern kingdom. Ancient Israel was, was made up of two kingdoms at one time under one king, uh, under King David and then Solomon, but it began, to, then it, there was a rift and then there were two kings. And there were prophets began to prophesy about a day when there would be a Messiah king who would unite the two kingdoms. And now all of a sudden, southern, southern and northern kingdoms are coming under the kingdom rule of God through King Jesus reigning in people's hearts. So now we're getting this picture of a united kingdom. How, you know, this, the excitement that you would feel, man, and that we should feel as we read this. Man, God is on the move, but it's not only theological, there's also this, like, really cool, like, ethnic movement that's happening. Because Samaria, Samaritans, were people who were part Jewish and part non-Jewish. It's almost like an, a, a bridge to the nations. It's almost like the people of promise have it. But now these people who, we weren't sure if they would be included in this thing because of their, they worship on a different mountain, they do things differently, they, ha, they have different ancestors, like something's going on here. How, is that, how are they going to be a part of this? All of a sudden they see it happen and it begins to spread to, to Samaria and Samaritans begin to receive the gospel. And this is actually, this would be a very hard thing to grasp. How can these guys who like abandoned true worship really, how can they receive this blessing? I mean, we get the, we we get this idea of like, you know, maybe, maybe us being a blessing to the nations. We like that idea, but this seems different. We're not just we're not just, a, you know, on top of the world passing out blessings to people. We're inviting people into covenant community. That's different. And that's hard, not only for the first century Jewish per- person to grasp, but it's also hard for Peter, I think, to grasp as well. And I picked that up in Acts 8.25, because it's only after the, these non-apostles go to Samaria that Peter hears they receive the word of the Lord. He goes, and, and it says this, after they're, they're on their way back to Jerusalem. It says, So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Why weren't they preaching the gospel to those Samaritans before? I think there's a bit of a struggle in Peter, and we know there's a bit of a struggle in Peter in the way of dealing with people when you, when you read books like Galatians or, you know, when you see how he hand, what happens with him with the Gentiles later. There's this struggle and inner turmoil, and we need 
the reader needed to see the main character struggle so that they could say, yeah, I'm struggling with this too. It's uncomfortable to, to imagine we're going to have to change our community. We love our places. We love our rhythms of comfort. We love our rhythms of comfort and our places of comfort. Man, let's be real. That moment when you check your kids into Sunday school and you got your coffee in your hand and you're walking into the service and your favorite song's playing, your friends are like, come on, we're over here. And you're sitting down and you listen to your favorite sermon, your favorite preacher, Pastor Wayne, he's doing, you know, he's doing his thing and doing, you know, I, like there is some comfort in that. And we, we love that. And then afterward, you go out, you all go out to eat with your people. It feels good. But what happens when gospel expansion messes with your covenant community? I mean, I mean, I want to invite my friend, but that means that I got pro- I might have to go pick him up. Or I, I, I would really love, uh, I would, I would really love to bring them. But I know that today we were supposed to do lunch at our favorite place, and probably not a good day. We'll do it next week, you know. Or, or like, man, it just changes the dynamics. It doesn't feel the same. It's not my place of comfort anymore. It just gets harder. It's, and these are silly things, but the reality is I, I know that I've thought this in my heart before. Like, uh, do I really want to do that this week? If they say yes, and I've got I to think about this and that. You know, there's sin in my heart, man, because the reality is these places of comfort become idols. Even going to church, good things, healthy things, having a place of comfort and rest, it's a good thing, but they become idols if they become a block to you expanding God's kingdom and inviting people into covenant community. Let alone, man, what if God calls you to another nation? You know, what if God calls you to be a church planner and leave this place? It was hard for us to leave. Like I said, this is, our, this is a place of comfort. This is a place of rest for us. Austin's very different. <laughs> And God called us there for a purpose. We have to be willing to leave these places of comfort, these places of rest. There's nothing wrong with having them. We have to invite. It's, it's, we, we, it's for inviting others into. Like, that's the whole purpose. We want to give other people a place to belong, a place to know the true king so that he, King Jesus can reign in their hearts and in their lives and we can see the kingdom go to the remotest part of the earth. And so we see now Gospel expands from Jerusalem, the city, the great city, to all the promised land, beginning to spread to all the promised land, northern and southern kingdoms, like united under King Jesus. And then there's this like seven chapters of transition, seven chapters of transition. And this is, this is the third movement that happens, the remotest part of the earth. And these seven chapters of transition, uh, immediately following chapter 8, Chapter 9, you get the Saul's conversion or call or whatever. Saul's called into ministry. So you're having this transition of main character happening. And his name is, is Saul or Paul. He uses his Greek name in order, I think, to think about reaching more Gentiles. So there's this transition happening in main character. Um, in chapter 10, Peter preaches the gospel, or Peter goes and, and preaches the gospel to Gentiles, and Gentiles receive the gospel for the first time and are filled with the Spirit. In this, this key moment, it, it's like, it's repeated over and over and over again. Like, Peter, they, it, the, the author wants us to know, and Peter wants them to know, like, no, like, they really got it, just like we got it. I promise they got it. And he, like, explains it multiple times. 
It's, it would have been hard for them to grasp. And I think it's intentional that Peter is the one to move it to the Gentiles because there's this sense where Jesus says he's, he's the rock on which the church is built. He gives them the keys. There's this sense that he opens the door to, first to the Jews, then to the uh, Samaritans, and then to the Gentiles. There's this sense of no individual people group can look at the other people group and say, they didn't get the same thing we got. Because now, like, the same outpouring of the Spirit came through the same individual. And so there's this, like... People are genuinely being included into this covenant community, and it doesn't matter what their ethnicity is. And so we have chapter 10, then we have chapter 11, non-apostles again spreading the kingdom beyond the promised land into uh, Cyprus, Cyrene, and Antioch. There's like this movement outward, then apostles go. It's really crazy. Spirit-empowered witnesses, not just apostles, going out and preaching the gospel uh, chapter 12 and 13, Paul starts his mi- first missionary journey. 13, 14, he begins to reach more Gentiles. Chapter 15 is this like whole debate about how should we include these guys? Like, how does this work? How do we do fellowship with people that are so different than us? They eat differently than us. They, they, they are just different. How do, we, how do we do meals with them? How does this work? What rules are there? And so these seven chapters of transition set us up to get us to the remotest part of the earth. They prepare our hearts to say, okay, things are set in place. And Paul goes on his missionary journeys. He's preaching. And then he gets to Rome and he's, uh, you know, under arrest, you know, and he's in house arrest. And that's how the book ends, Rome. That's not the ends of the earth. It's not the remotest part of the earth. Um, And... We see there that he begins, he, he, his last words, uh, and these, like, this is the, the last chapter of the book, his last words are an encouragement to, to keep this thing going. I, I want to share this verse with you here. Acts 28, 28. Acts 28, 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. They will also listen. This should be an encouragement to us as well, but to the first century Jewish person. Think about the fact that the Jewish people were a conquered people under Roman rule. They're conquered people under Roman rule. The Roman kingdom, you know, the Roman empire is reigning. And Paul from Rome is preaching the gospel to Gentiles and they're receiving it and learning and growing. And he encourages the people who are reading. He says, look, they'll, they'll receive this. He's, he's inspiring us to go forth. Man, in a year like we've had, a year of division, let's be, let's be real. Let, go look at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. This has been a year of division. A year where it feels like nobody listens to anybody. They will also listen should be an encouragement to you and to me. The Jews did not think that Gentiles would listen. But it's not based in how smart you are, how good of a communicator you are. It's because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you who empowers you to be his witness to the remotest part of the earth. That's why we're able to take the gospel out like that. 
So when you consider this, this reality, that the same Spirit that empowered the apostles and non-apostles to take the gospel out to the nations dwells in you. When you consider this reality that these people, and, and you read the story and you see these people willing to die, give up their lives, be imprisoned for the sake of taking the gospel out. When you consider the fact that, that we are all commissioned by Jesus, this story starting with, you will be my witnesses. That's what the point of having the Holy Spirit is, is to be his witnesses. And then Paul ends with, like, they're going to listen, guys. This is going to happen. This book should beckon us to go do something. More than Mel Gibson or, or Jean-Claude Van Damme or, or John Cusack, whatever. Like, this book should move us into action. The last days have begun. The city of the great king is, God's kingdom is reigning in Jerusalem, moving beyond those boundaries into all of the promised land and going out to the Gentiles and all nations and all ethnicities. And you have been empowered to be a part of this. I'm going to close with this. The gospel has reached from Jerusalem to Frisco, Texas. Because of spirit-empowered believers taking it to the remotest parts of the earth, you know about Jesus and he reigns in your heart. There is a purpose for this. Some of you are called to be missionaries and church planners in another country. Some of you are called to be missionaries or church planners in this country. And the rest of you are called to live missionally and to give to, to fund missions and church planting. The book of Acts beckons us into this movement. You probably weren't warned about this when you first got saved. I know I wasn't. Um, that when I received Jesus, I received his spirit, and that spirit empowers me uh, to be his witness. That when you place your trust in Jesus, you become recipient, recipients of Israel's blessing of their inheritance of the holy spirit which empowers you to be his witnesses to the remotest part of the earth let's pray father thank you thank you for your spirit dwelling in us god let us not remain just in our little huddles Let's invite, encourage us to invite people into covenant community, to go to all nations, to not be afraid of what you might have in store for us. Move us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.